I want to finish out this series on the Lord's Prayer by talking um, about this, this, this idea of James chapter 5, right? The prayer of a righteous man is, is what? You finish the sentence. Powerful and effective. Availeth much is, 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 one, is one version, but the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The power of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Great power. So I want to talk about this morning the power of our prayers. And so we've been talking about the the Lord's Prayer, and if you look at Matthew um, chapter 6 is where we're going to start, where we're going to kick off, where we've been over the last few weeks as we've been talking. I want to jump back, and I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball to Ken, who's running our video this morning. Um, follow along with me, because we're going to get to verses 9 through 13, but I want to jump back and look at where Jesus starts this. He says, and when you pray, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him, pray them like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then help me finish it. For thine is the... Amen. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Where do we see that here in the text there? It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then mine stops. Right? Now, for some of you that know or maybe have grown up in church or whatever, don't spoil it for the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. But the reality is, as we look at it, And when we planned this series, we wanted to finish with this right here. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But the reality is, when we look at Scripture, it's not there. For many of your translations, it's a footnote. If you have an older version of the King James, you'll see it there. Um, But the the English standard that I preach from and teach from uh, that came along a little bit later, um, it's not there. It's not there. It's a footnote. And so, so when I memorized this at Southern Pines United Methodist Church as a kid, before before I got to go upstairs into the main service and and, and, and I got my little uh, lollipop for reciting it correctly for, and, and finished it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Many of us learned it that way. And, and so I want to talk about for just a second, where does that come from? Right? Because you guys knew it. I knew it. Where does it come from? And it's been fun kind of having this conversation this week, talking about how, hey, we're going to preach on a verse that's not even in the Bible. What? My church is going off the deep end. That's what we meant when we said we're going deeper. Anyway, 
And so, so where's the ending? Where's the ending? You know, the part that, that talks about the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Your Bible probably has a, has a footnote that says something like this. Some Greek translations do not contain this phrase. And so we're going to go to school a little bit this morning at the beginning of the message. The early versions of the Lord's Prayer that we're reading, that we've studied for the last six or seven weeks, that's found in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11, which we're going to turn to Luke 11 in just a few minutes, don't have the ending that so many of us use today to finish the Lord's Prayer. So where does it come from? We've got to ask ourselves, where does it come from? Because I think that's important. Because if you look in the scriptures, if you look in the scriptures, there's, there's a passage in Deuteronomy, there's a passage in Revelation, there are strong warnings. In fact, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation, says, says some very strong warnings about anyone that adds or takes away from something in this book. And here's something that we've got to wrestle with in today's church culture. Many of us are buying into things that are biblical that aren't even in the text. And that's a problem. That's an issue. Many of us are buying into things that aren't even in the text. Many of us are quoting things and saying things. Well, the Bible says so. Where? Can you prove it? Or are you just saying something that you learned from your Sunday school teacher back at Southern Pines United Methodist Church a long time ago? This guy. Many of us, many of us are buying into things because we've got these pictures in our minds because that's how it is, because that's how we were taught. But we've got to go back to the text. Okay, so I mentioned we're going to go to school a little bit. There's a very old Christian writing, very old Christian writing. It's anonymous, so we don't know where it came from. We don't know, you know how, to, how, to, how to verify the, the legitimacy necessary other, necessarily other than it dates back to about 100, uh, year 100, okay? It's an extra biblical text, and it's called this. All right, you guys ready? The Didache. Now, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, the Didache. All right, the Didache, that's what it's called, all right? And I even, I even looked it up this morning and was like, all right, how do you say this? Because I didn't want to say it wrong. And then like, you know, but it's, it's the Didache, okay? Like I said, an extra biblical text. It's not the Bible. Um, it's also called the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It talks about Christian ethics. It talks about practices like baptism and communion and church organization. And like the early manuscripts of the Bible, it's been discovered uh, and preserved through the years. And the Lord's Prayer is also included in it in its entirety. And in the Didache, you'll find the last part of the Lord's Prayer that says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So purely, purely from a historical point of view, we can be sure that this ending that many of us know, that many of us recite, was added even though the words themselves do not appear, right? They do not appear to be from the mouth of Jesus. And what's interesting is that the ending, and I think, 
I think we've already read it this morning, 1 Chronicles 29, 11, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And so what's amazing about this verse in context from Chronicles is that King David is still alive, although he's older. He's about to hand over the kingdom to Solomon, his son. David's been collecting materials to build the temple, and he's now encouraging the leaders of the nation to follow his example. And the bottom line that he gets to when it comes to life, when it comes to prayer, is it's all about worshiping God. It's all about reliance on God. And the addition of this ending to the Lord's Prayer reminds us why prayer works. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because the reality with our prayer lives is our prayers are not about us. And that's where we have to get to. And I hope you've seen that throughout this prayer series as we've been talking through this, that, that, when, that when we pray, it has so much less to do with us and so much more to do with aligning ourselves with who God is. This prayer has much more to do with the person and the work of God than it does you getting what you asked for. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that this messes with our feels a little bit, right? Because we want to, we want to, we want to feel good. But the thought, okay, now, pastor's back, right? But we need to say some hard things here because I want you to realize the heart of prayer, the thought that I'm just going to God in conversation to get what I want or to get what I need because God is at my beck and call is arrogant. It's self-righteous. And it's not what prayer is about. We said in the earlier weeks, Prayer defined, and I, I, lo- I love this definition, is constant communion with God. Constant communion with God. So let me show you what this looks like a little bit. The other day, uh, I went to Chipotle. I love Chipotle. They, their salad, all that stuff. And some of you are like, wow, I could go for an early lunch and just make sure you bring me something back before the 10.30 service. Well, they're not even open yet, so forget it. But I went to Chipotle, ordered my salad and went up to where you get the silverware right and they have the picture of the fork on on, in front of like three silverware things and then they got spoons and they got knives and and so I, I picked something picked a piece of silverware out of the fork bin and it was a spoon so I'm like man really somebody messed this up so then I picked a piece of silver up out of the other one I put the other one back right even though I no, I'm just kidding. Um, so I, some of you germaphobes are like, that's nasty. Um, and, and so I picked another one up out of the other fork thing, and it was a spoon. And then I went to the third fork thing and picked one up, and it was a spoon. And so I was really frustrated, right? Because all I wanted to do, I just wanted to eat my salad. And so I walked up to the guy at the register, and they were really busy, as they normally are at lunchtime. And I said, um, where are the forks? And he's like, I'm sorry, we're all out. All we have are these spoons. I was like, okay, you know, thanks. So I got a salad, and I got a spoon. 
I wish I could tell you that my response to that guy was, that's great. At least I have a spoon and I'll make do with my spoon and I'll just embrace the spoon life with the salad and get your camera ready and post this because, because we're, we could make $10,000 on Funniest Home Videos if, if this goes well, right? Um, and so thank you, you know, thanks. At least I have a spoon and I don't have to eat with my hands. That, however, was not my response. My response was, well, do I, do I leave, right? I mean, do I leave? Do I take this with me? Do I, do I take it back to the church where we have a plethora of, for- we have plenty of forks? Plenty of, just so you know, for the next fellowship lunch, we've got plenty of forks. You know, do I bring it back here? You know, and, and, and Kristen and I were kind of, you know, we, we were eating lunch together. And I was like, no, I want to sit here. So I started eating with my spoon. The first thing I did is I started using the chips as my silverware, right? But then I ran out of chips. And so then I, I was about halfway through my salad. So then I had to go to the spoon. What does that have to do with prayer, Travis? I'm glad you asked. God doesn't always answer our prayer the way we want him to. And the response for some of us, right? God, should I do this? God, should I do this? God, should I do this? The response for some of us is, well, God gave me a spoon. How ridiculous is that, right? What am I going to do with that? So obviously, I've just got to keep praying. Obviously, I've just got to keep, you know, asking. I've got to keep, because this is wrong, right? This is wrong. I, I can't eat a salad with a spoon. Like, this is ridiculous. So obviously, God messed up because he gave me a spoon, and I, and I need a fork. And so obviously, God's got a problem here. See where I'm going with this? instead of embracing the spoon. And I feel like in some of our prayer lives this morning, what I want to show you from Luke chapter 11 and some other places that we're going to look at is that God's answering your prayer. He's just giving you a spoon. God's answering your prayer. And he's just giving you a spoon. So if you flip over to Luke chapter 11, as we talk about <clears throat> prayer, and we're going we're gonna to circle back through the whole Lord's Prayer this morning and set this up and finish this thing, um, and, and, and I think God's going to do some really cool things here and give us some spoons this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I love this here um, because very quickly we see in verse 1 the priority of prayer, right? Jesus was praying in a certain place. If Jesus was who Jesus was and he needed to distance himself from his disciples from time to time and pray, how much more do I need to distance myself from people and from things and from situations and pray, right? And John, right, he, he, he um, uh, is asking Jesus, teach us this thing, teach us to pray. And John, being who John was, one of the 12 disciples, being who he was, if he needed to pray, if he needed to understand this, how much more do I need to pray? And here's the reality when it comes to our prayer life. If you're taking notes, number one, the priority of prayer, we all must take time to sharpen our acts when it comes to communion with God the Father. 
We all, we all need to take time to sharpen our prayer lives and to, to, to go deeper in our communication with the person and the work of Jesus and the priority of prayer. Jesus made prayer a priority and he taught that priority to his disciples. And then very quickly we see the pattern for prayer, right? He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we all ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Right? So it's a very similar to Matthew 6 when Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches his disciples to the same pattern for prayer. And this prayer works, again, because the focus is centered not on us, but on God. The Lord's Prayer may be, you know, short... But Jesus packs a lot into it, and we don't, we're not going to unpack all of these again just very briefly and kind of in a sense of review because we've spent much time on it over the last few weeks. But Jesus opens with picturing God as someone who's full of grace and wants an inclusive, eternal relationship with us, our Father in heaven. I love that he uses the term Father, and when he prays that the Father's name will always be honored and praised, hallowed be your name, then we ask God to lead us and keep us, uh, keep his church strong, your kingdom come, your will be done. We ask God to help us obey his will. We ask God to take care of our physical needs. Give us today our daily bread, the provision. We ask God to forgive us our sins and to grant the, us the grace to forgive others. That's a big one. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And then we ask God to grant us victory over temptation and evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Most of these temptations, right, most of these petitions, excuse me, most of these petitions, there's four that are about us, there's three that are about the person and work of God, but it tells me that it's okay, it's okay, I want you to hear this, to talk with God about what's important to us, but that's not what our prayer is about, right? It's okay, it's okay because we see that four of these petitions here, the last four, Tell me that it's okay for us to talk with God about what's important to us because that's what Jesus taught us to do. We start the prayer by honoring God. We finish the prayer by honoring God. And what's great is that we're right in the middle of it. We're part of the story. But God is the beginning and the end. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And then we keep reading verse 5. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Keep reading. Verse 7. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Here, as we finish this series and we talk about prayer, I think there's two things that we've got to finish talking about. We've, we talked about the pattern, right? We talked about the priority from Luke 11, but I think we've got to talk about the persistence in prayer. Uh, 
Imagine how frustrating it is if you're a parent of young kids or a parent of kids. I mean, you know that feeling, right? Every night when the kids are in bed and the door is shut and it's quiet. We made it. Another day. They're all breathing. At least they were when I put them to bed. They're mostly fed. Made it. And then Dan Garrish comes and knocks on your door at midnight. Dan's right back here. Cheery, as always. I'm sure he would be cheery at midnight and say, Hey, Travis, Jamie, Russ, somebody just showed up at my door and I don't have anything to give them, which would have been a big no-no in this culture because anyone who shows up at your door, right, you feed them. You feed them. You take care of them. You care for them. That's why an axe, right? No one had need. They shared everything that they had with each other. No one had need. This would have been a big no-no. And so Dan shows up at midnight unprepared for his unexpected guests and saying, I need three loaves after I've gotten all the kids in bed. The house is quiet and there's peace. Can you imagine that feeling of emotion? And so the story reads right from the other side of the door. I'm not opening this door. I'm not giving you everything. Everybody's in bed. If you come in here, Dan, and being your Dan self, then, then you're going to wake everybody up and everything's going to be ruined and everything's going to be wrecked. And, 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 so, and so I'm not doing that. And so he tries to, to send the guy away, right? But because of his persistence, because of, as the text says, impudence, right? The guy gives the guy bread. And here's my question for us this morning. When it comes to this piece of it, how persistent are we in our prayers? How persistent are we in the prayers that we're offering up to God on behalf of us, on behalf of the people that we talk to, on behalf of the situation that you're walking through right now in your life? How persistent are we? How persistent are we? Now, now again, sometimes God's going to give us a spoon. Right? Sometimes God is going to give us the spoon and we ask for the fork and, the, and, and we've got to em, embrace that. And so then the prayer shifts a little bit. Okay, God, help me to embrace the spoon. Right? Help me to embrace the spoon. It's not what I asked for. It's not what I thought I needed. It's not what I want. God knows it's not what I want. When you've prayed for that miracle, when you've prayed for, for that salvation of a friend or a child, or you've prayed for that marriage, or you've prayed for that, for, for, for that job or that situation, or you've prayed for that thing to happen so persistently, you've knocked, you've asked, you've sought, and yet God gives you a spoon. And I know it's hard when God gives you a spoon. I know it's hard. Well, Pastor, you, you probably haven't experienced what I've experienced. Okay, now my mom's in the room, so I'm not going to look at her for the next few minutes. But have you seen this kid up here in a wheelchair? That's my brother. And I can't tell you the times in my life that I grew up 
praying for Andy's healing, that Andy would walk again. My brother, his name's Andy. He was in a near-drowning accident when he was two and a half years old, and so he's um, total brain damage. And Herb and I have talked about this a couple times, right? But, but I grew up praying that God would heal my brother, and that was my perspective of God, right? That God's going to heal Andy one day, and I'm going to be able to beat him in basketball, and that's going to be awesome. But he's still in a wheelchair, but yet this morning, while we were singing Great I Am and he really liked Be Thou My Vision, he's over here laughing and smiling and touching the lives of the people right around here. And even while Kristen's trying to pray, he's over here being disruptive because he's smiling and he's praying a lot right along with him. How dare him be vocal in church? God gave us a spoon. We wanted the fork. We wanted Andy to, to walk and talk and run and play and do all the things that, that, that quote-unquote normal kids do, right? But God gave us a spoon. And through that spoon, God is touching lives. And so God's already healed Andy. Not the way that I thought, not the way that my mom wanted for years and years, or my dad wanted for years and years, or my other brother wanted for years and years and years, but God gave us a spoon. And so Andy's still in a wheelchair. And that presents challenges for us, right? Day in, day out. My mom, day in and day out. And my mom's joined CrossFit all of a sudden so that she can better take care of her son. Whatever. Um, right? But God gave us a spoon. And through that spoon, it's not about us. It's not about what makes us feel better, about what's easier on our bank account, or about what's easier in our lives, in our situation, or when we go out to restaurants, or when we do that, or when we do these things. You know, I, I can't tell you how bad my mom would like to do some things in her life, or have done some things in her life, but she hasn't been able to because God gave her a spoon. But the number of lives that God has touched through that spoon was the healing and the prayer that we prayed. And man, we prayed. We prayed. I remember getting ready for those revival meetings down, those like four-hour services where people run all over the place and go crazy and speak in all types of different languages and yeah, blah, blah, blah. anyway I, I remember one night and it wasn't an issue of faith because I remember one night mom and dad came in as we were all getting ready we were wearing our best to this camp meeting and mom was so full of faith that Andy was going to walk that night I was like eight years old maybe, maybe older and we got home and Andy, Andy didn't walk. And so growing up, I was like, well, what's the deal with God? Like, why isn't God letting Andy walk? Like, what sin do we have in our lives? Like, what, you know, because you hear people talking all dumb things, right, when it comes to, when it comes to prayer, right? Obviously, your son's not walking because there's sin in your life. Please don't ever say that to somebody. Because that can't be more dumb or more further from biblical truth than anything else. Not to mention what that does to that person and their view of God. God's picking, no, 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 no. God's using that wheelchair for his glory. Isn't he? 
Because Herb can't focus on worship now because he watches my brother worship. God gave us a spoon. And I love what Johnny Erickson Tata, who's also in a wheelchair, says when it comes to this. God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. So God may give you a spoon for his glory so that you can use it and turn it for the glory of God. And that's not to say to stop praying. That's not to say to even change the prayer. Right? That's not to say that, right? Because now my prayers for Andy are completely different. My prayers for that spoon are completely different. Right? But the prayer has changed. The prayer has changed. God, give me the strength today. Give my mom the strength today. Give the people around me the strength today to embrace the spoon. Right? And that's where the persistence comes in. Not, God, will you change these things? God, will you change the things that are happening? Will you change the circumstances? Will you change, will you change this? Will you change that? But God, will you change me as I look at the circumstances? Will you change my perspective as I'm holding the spoon? And then lastly, we see in verses 9 through 13, we see here, right? <clears throat> and I tell you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks knocks, and the one who uh, seeks finds, excuse me, and the one who knocks it will be opened. For what the Father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead give him, uh, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, it's encouraging, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him the power of prayer I love I love the promise here and I tell you ask and it will be given seek and you'll find knock and it will be open to you I once heard somebody say this and I can't remember where it come from but came from but I love it you know this whole pray without ceasing thing I never pray for more than 20 minutes but I never go 20 minutes without praying not awesome. When it comes to the power of prayer, I never pray for more than 20 minutes, but I never go 20 minutes without praying. Why? Because prayer changes things. And so if we go back to the end of this prayer, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The sentence may not have been attached to the original thoughts. Jesus may not have, have said it when he originally was doing the Sermon on the Mount on the side of that hill with crowds surrounding him. But it is a very fitting conclusion that has been in the hearts of believers for over 2,000 years. It's a good punctuation mark that gives all praise, all focus back to God. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, not mine, and yours is the power forever. We're reminded in this finale of words of the very nature of God. He's a listening God who gives us great confidence. He's a father in whom we can ultimately trust. He's our king who we can lay our plans at his feet. 
Yours, not mine, is the power. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We must never separate our prayer lives from the Word of God. See, the Bible has over 5,000 promises in it that we can plead for our lives, but we remember that ultimately, in all of our prayer lives, prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. In James chapter 5, there's one word that I read there. And he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great as it's working. Has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You get that? Elijah was a man like us. Elijah was a man like, like us. Nature like ours. A person like us in this room this morning. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months and it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently. You know the word I love there? Fervently. If you look fervently up in the dictionary, it says having or displaying a passionate intensity. What does it look like for your life, for your prayer life to display a passionate intensity where we say, God, God, okay. God, I'm, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, I'm turning from my wicked ways, I'm praying, I'm coming to you, I'm laying this at your feet. God, give me the fork. God, I, I, need, I need the fork in my life. God, I, I, I feel like you have just called me to this fork, and I, I want to glorify you, and I want to serve you, and I'll do that through the fork. We wrap it up, right? In Jesus' name, amen. We walk away. A couple days later, we're handed a spoon. The person who you were praying for passed away. The, the marriage you were pray, praying for ended in divorce. The son or daughter you were praying for to give their life to Jesus that Sunday morning at church didn't maybe even became more angry. God, 
answered your prayer for the fork with a spoon? What's your response? We go back in fervency and say, God, what do you want to do with the spoon? How can I use the spoon for your glory? So the worship team is going to come. And I think the question that I want to ask us this morning is when it comes to your prayer life, how is it? If you were to rate or rank or what have you, give, your, give yourself an evaluation of your prayer life and your communion with God, scale of one to ten or one to five, what would it be? What does your prayer life look like? And just kind of silently as you're sitting there, give yourself a number, right? And I think for me, if, if, I'm, if I'm sitting here and if you're sitting here and we're being honest with ourselves, Maybe, maybe the best way to judge that or the best way to evaluate that would be to say, sit and say, how focused am I on me in my prayer life? How focused am I on the things of me, on the things that are my desires or my needs or my wants? And what would it look like? What would it look like if we all shifted our focus in prayer? If we shifted our focus in prayer and we said, you know what? Prayer's about you. Prayer's about who God is. Prayer's about aligning myself with His will, aligning my thoughts with His thoughts. And so whatever that number is, with every head bowed, every eye closed, as we close in prayer this morning, I just want to pray. That on a scale of one to five, if you're sitting here this morning, you're a two that God would give you the strength to spend more time with Him this week, maybe to get alone, maybe to make prayer more of a priority, maybe to be more persistent in your prayer life and go from a two to a two and a half, or a three to a four. What does that look like for you? And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and I, I love the idea in James, the half-brother of Jesus, right, as he's writing this book, as he's ending his letter, and, and, he, and he kind of gets communal with prayer, right? If any one of you is sick, call somebody. Have them come pray with you. And so some of, us, some of us this morning, as we've been talking through this series, and we've dealt with things like forgiveness, we've dealt with things like temptation, we've dealt with things like sin and evil and delivering us from those things and aligning ourselves with God, and we've, we've said it many times over the last few weeks, don't fight the devil in the dark, Some of you not only need to get real honest with ourselves this morning, but some of us need to get real honest with some of the people around us about our prayer lives, about the desires of our heart, about the things that we're asking God for. Some of us need to open up and be a little vulnerable. And so maybe the challenge for you this morning is God, give me the strength. Give me the strength to build an army 
around this prayer. Give me the strength to talk to the person sitting right next to me about the desires of my heart, about the things and the conversations you and I have been having. Give me the strength to share. Father, I pray this morning. God, the promises are true. The promises are all throughout Scripture. We heard this morning over 5,000 promises in relation to prayer are found in your letter to us. And so God, I pray that you help us trust your promises. I pray that you help us claim your promises. God, I pray that you remind us of who we are in relation to who you are when it comes to our prayer lives. God, I pray for a deeper communion with you for each and every one of us. God, that even, even though as we're sitting here, even this morning, and we're sitting here, and we're doubting that this is real, or we're doubting that you're able, or we're doubting that you're capable, God, I pray that our faith would be bigger than our doubt. Help our unbelief. Help us in the ways that we're praying, but we're not praying very confidently. Move our hearts towards yours, as only you can do, through your power and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.